Well, we are we come to our sermon time. It is our act of worship as a people of God, and we will invite our special guest speaker to come and lead us in the word. Brother Phil Thomas. Thank you, brother. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you had not checked your bulletins, and this is a surprise that I'm standing here this morning, I apologize. I usually do the announcements here, and it's always is weird for me to announce, oh, hey, guys, come back next week. I'm, I'm speaking. So, <laughs> so today I do get the privilege to speak again at another anniversary service where we can celebrate the Lord's faithfulness towards us as a church. So um, let's, let's get right into it then. So if you can turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 26, we'll be reading that this morning. And when you find it, can you please stand for the reading of God's word? I read. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing, excuse me? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And in our unpresentable parts are treated with greatest, greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we venture into your word today, Lord God, let us remember uh, John seventeen seventeen that we may desire to sanctify ourselves in the truth. Your word is truth. So, Father, as we come before and, and look into your word, Lord, let's be just humbled by it, Lord God. 
that we may desire to hear it, to obey it, to know it, Lord God, to hold fast to it, Lord God, to share that good word with one another, Lord, to lovingly cherish it within our own hearts so that your name may be glorified in all that we do. Please help us, Lord, to worship you, Lord, as we heed your word, Lord God. And please, Lord, even help me, Lord God, that it may not get in the way of, of its, if it's being spread today. May your name be glorified as we go into your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I'd like to start off with a question first. Personally, what makes you unique? How do you define yourself? Is it something personal? Your height, your hair color, your age, a limb you have, the stage of life you're in? I'm a mother, a father, a grandmother, a son. Is it your culture? I'm Irish, I'm Jamaican, I'm Canadian, I'm Ecuadorian, I'm British. Is it something you do? It, your job, you know, so I'm an accountant, right? Your studies, so I'm a student. Your hobbies, so you're a painter, a baker, a candlestick maker. Or is it your passions? I'm a, I'm a Leafs fan, I'm a Raptors fan, or, or uh, I'm a bird watcher, or I'm an avid walker. Or is it your politics or your convictions? I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal, I'm a pro-life, I'm a vegan. Another question I'd like to ask for us to think about is, what makes you the same as everyone else? We're human beings. You know the phrase, to err is human. We're all alive. We eat, we sleep, we, we have similar experiences. We, we learn, we laugh, you know, we, we get angry, we get sad. We have families, friends, people that we care about. If we thought about it right now, in this room, we could come up with a lot of things that we're very similar about one another. So to help us focus on our passage today, I want to ask two more questions and ask them in another way. What makes you as a Christian unique? Is it the way that you came to the Lord? Was it a dynamic testimony or was it something mundane? Is it your passions or your giftings, your love for sharing the faith, your, your love hospitality, you love uh, studying the word, you love helping, you love praying, you love administration? I, I don't know if you can really love, I don't know, paperwork, but you love administration, or is it your calling? Is it, oh, you're, you're a missionary, you do something. You're a missionary, you're a chaplain, you're a pastor, you're a deacon, you're an elder, you're a Sunday school teacher, you're the sound guy, you're an usher. Is that how we define ourselves as a, as a Christian? But now, the next question is, what makes you as a Christian the same as everyone else? Right? We want to go to the Sunday school answer. We say, Jesus. Jesus makes us the same, right? That brings us together here each week or should be the primary reason we come together each week. Not obligation, nor convenience, or tradition, or even uh, should be a reason for coming here. So as we come to this anniversary service, this anniversary Sunday, I want us to consider why we are here. Why we are together as a body of believers. Time together can make us appreciate one another more, and as we get to know one another and see how the Lord's working with us, it can be a great thing. But also, sometimes time together can breed an unhealthy familiarity, and that can uh, take things and people for granted, or the reason they are here for granted. We can lose focus as a group by not keeping the main thing the main thing. So I think this is where we get into 1 Corinthians a little bit. 
and Paul's interaction with the Corinthian church. The super talented church in their interactions with one another answered the question, what makes us unique? With them, it was which teacher they followed. It was what talent they had or even a personal experience that they enjoyed. The result of this was that they were together, but they're really kind of divided. They were in the same location as a community, but their hearts were actually far from one another. So we can definitely thank God that some of the problems we see with that church in 1 Corinthians are not here, right? And usually when we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, we breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, that dysfunction, it is there, but not here. Ooh, we made it out. And I know that is true. It's not, we're not, I'm not saying we're, we're uh, as a church, we're bad as 1 Corinthians or anything like that. But I caution that as we look at this book, showing Paul trying to course correct this church, we do not look close and say, thank God for we are not like them. But rather, the sin we see in them can just be as prevalent as in with us. So really, we should be beating our chest and saying, Lord, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. We are like them, for better or for worse. So in our life together as a church, we can be tempted to follow their path, defining ourselves by the unique in our Christian walk, though some of them are right and good. You know, some of the things we do things within the church. We, we love the Lord. We love studying. But sometimes those things that are unique can distract us so that we are together, but really we're kind of separate. So division within the church isn't simply a church split, but a distraction in focus. Whether it be past experiences or the theology you may hold or, or preferences in worship or expertise in ministry or your own personal giftings can affect your view of a church. These things in and of themselves may not be bad, but it can distract from the main thing, which unites us as a church. That is, the, that is where the problems begin. And that is what I would like for us to look at together as a church. That Primarily, the point I want to talk about is, as a church, we should strive to be united as the body of Christ. What does that look like? What does that entail? This takes us to our text, where we look at Paul's response to the church at Corinth for the host of issues following this church. We'll take a look at three things Paul tells the church that will help us to think about our unity as a body of believers. So these three things are, the body has one confession, God puts the body parts together, and God intends the body parts to work together. So let's look at our first point in verse 12. Look with me at verse 12. The body has one confession. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul starts out his explanation here of what the body of Christ is. This comes after much discussion from the beginning of the book in chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, where reports had come to Paul that there's quarreling and um, divisiveness over the prominent people in the church that they follow. So some people were proclaiming, I follow Paul. Some people were saying, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Peter. 
And at the outset of the book, Paul is appealing to them that they be not divided, but they have the same mind and that they have the same judgment. And then it starts, he, Paul comes back to speak about it in chapter 3, that he turns to admonish them and rebuke the church for being fleshly and not spiritual because of the jealousy and strife that had come up that had produced division. Because they were saying who they followed. Some said, I follow Paul and I followed Apollos. He said that they were being merely human. Even though Paul and Apollos had done great things within this church, they were not uh, to be focused on since God himself had been the one to, to guide all of God's people towards themselves. And then he begins to address the issues of the rest of the book to our chapter, where um, he's weeding out inconsistency of sin, where people are departing from the true confession and following after sin, and, and uh, there's lawsuits against one another and stuff like that. And, and even be there became a division problem even in terms of spiritual gifts that they saw within the church, that even though this church had a problem of not being unified, they experienced great uh, uh, spiritual gifts within that church. But when Paul starts to talk to them about these gifts, Paul's main message to them is that though they are different gifts, they come from the same spirit. They come from one place. I think that the aim behind him talking with them about this in this way is to say that they're supposed to be united and not divided. Or, or have a hierarchy of, of what's better or what's not better, but they should be on the same page. So then Paul turns then to the first truth he needs them to understand about the body of Christ so that they can navigate these various issues that they have within their church. To talk about unity of the body of Christ, Paul uses the analogy of a body, right? It has many parts, hands, feet, right? Arms, legs, but they're all considered one body. Though completely different, they articulate in different ways, they move in different ways, they have different ways of uh, expressing. They all have a singular identity as the body. That is what it means to, that's what it kind of looks like to be the body of Christ. How these different parts all united in one entity. How can they be many different and then be one? How, how is that even possible? Verse 13 kind of answers that question for us. Because in one spirit, we are baptized into one body. We are all baptized into one Christ. Being baptized into his death and into his new life. Being brought together ultimately by the effect of the embracing of the gospel. We see baptism here as a confession of, of faith, of trust and hope in Jesus Christ, and it expresses a unity with Christ. Like even in, in Romans 6, verse 3 to 5, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look again at verse 13 and how it is applied. Right after the one body in verse 13, it applies the word all to Jews, to Greeks, to slaves, to, to those who are free, pointing to ethnic and social barriers that could have been there within that church. If this common confession, this baptism, is so uniting that it breaks down the divides between ethnicity and economic differences within this society. Should it now apply to how we relate inside the church? To allow, to not allow anything to disturb the great unity 
that through Christ that that has been accomplished. One of the problems for the Corinthians church is that they extended unity with Christ and expanded to include their favorite teachers, their favorite sins, their favorite giftings. Can we see ourselves here? I have Christ and I have this great ministry. Thank you, Lord. I have, I have Christ and, and this great life. Thank you, Lord. I have Christ and, and this great character. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you've preserved me in this way. When really we should be saying, being united with Christ and united with one another is, I have Christ, I have Christ, I have Christ with others. So let's not make the unique experience or benefits we receive in Christ be the thing that separates We should point always to our common foundation in Christ, our common confession, that we have new life in him. A question you can ask yourself is, are you defining yourself by anything other than the unity you have in Christ when you come here? That is the one thing we actually all share. So at Streetsville, there is there's a reason why we we do baptism and we and we witness baptisms here. There's a reason why we do have affirmation of membership where we read their testimonies. There's a reason for that. So that we are unified over the common confession. In baptism and then in membership, we we see pictures of both. So because as a church, we must say, we have Christ, we have Christ, we have Christ together. That is our common confession. That should sound an echo from the body of believers that are here. So some ways that we can actually think of trying to have this attitude within our church or embracing that common confession in Christ are, are as follows. I have, I have some suggestions. One, listen and look for the common witness among ourselves. Sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of this. I, I'm coming in, I'm kind of late for church. I run in and I'm looking at like what was done, what wasn't done. You know, how things were planned out or did we miss anything? before I even start trying to be sensitive to how Christ is working among his people, to look for the fruit of of that common confession of Christ. It's so easy to look for fault in others than to look for God's grace in others. Do you look for growing joy in other people around here and patience and, and, uh, and, and people showing patience and adversity with one another? Do you see helping and hospitality going on around you and people listening to scripture and obeying? look for these things. If our eyes are keenly aware of these things, you will start to see how good and faithful God is. And he, how good and faithful he is at preserving his church and that he is still at work within his church. Another way to encourage having this attitude of looking for common witness amongst ourselves is that um, when we speak with other believers here, how about we, we, we state how we're still being united to Christ. So so we had like so our seniors or people who are older, you know, share with people someone that's younger um, about your faith. Because wouldn't it be encouraging for someone who is younger to hear that the Lord is still faithful after many years? And from the time that He has called you, He has been with you throughout the whole time and continues to grow you in His in in, in your love for Him. And then maybe those who are younger share with those who are older. Wouldn't it be uh, uh, about your faith? Wouldn't it be encouraging for someone who is older, who has dedicated their life to Christ, to the same God that you serve, to hear that the same God is still calling people towards himself and causing people to grow in love for him? 
True unity and fellowship can only truly happen if it's showing our common confession and rejoicing in the common heritage we share in Christ. Before I move on, though, I do have something that I want to just say to those that are that may be visitors here. Um, for those who are not Christians, for those who haven't confessed repentance of their offenses against the Holy God and, and do not trust that Jesus died for their sins, that the common confession of this church, you know, is a message for you as well. I think about a common confession, a common truth that we all hold, but it's also a call, right? So what the body of, of this church should be saying, and, and what we desire most for each and every person who is a visitor here that may not know the Lord, is that come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ, and enjoy his goodness forever. All the believers here were made to drink of one spirit, as it says in our chapter that we're looking at, meaning that we've received um, the same spiritual new life that Jesus offered. In John 7, 37 to 38, it says that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and cried out to everyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We here who believe in, in, um, who believe in Christ in this church, we were all thirsty. And Jesus satisfied our thirst for, for spiritual life that leads to eternal life. That is what unites us here. That thirst that has been quenched by Jesus. So as a local church, we should strive to be united as a body, as the body of Christ. And that can only come through the common confession, a confession shared with one another, cherished in one another, and held with one another. So in light of this common confession talk of just been mentioning, in which we understand our church, there are two implications that Paul talks about that we should see when we understand this common bond. We should think about the church and how we live together. So in light of the body having one confession, God has put us together. He's Sorry, excuse me. God has put the body parts together, and then God intends for the body parts to work together. So look with me. So look at this point that God has put the body parts together in verse 14. If you look with me there. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. So if the main point we we're looking at before was that we were made one in Christ's body. The second and third point talk about the one body consisting of many parts. And I think it's interesting when we look at verse 14, verse 14 to, to 16, that um, this analogy that Paul is making about these parts, these parts are kind of speaking. You know, me being, you know, an artist and animator, that's always kind of appealing to me. But in this analogy, Paul is making some of the parts, making known that some of the parts are doubting that they're even part of the body. And I think that's important to look at. They're doubting that they're part of the body because they are not like the other parts. This could be pointing to some of the elitism that could be in the church, the hierarchy that was in the church. I have these gifts, so I'm better. Or you're not as good within the church. And it could have been because of giftings. But what is interesting is that this 
passage, that section 14 and 16 is addressing that doubt. We see something wonderful about the body of Christ in the local church. So, verse 17 to 19. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? God has put the parts of this body together. So, an application of this is that God uses every part of the body. Ever felt that since you're not doing something particular in church, or you're not... Uh, um, you're not doing what someone else is doing within the church, that you're not as much a part of the body? Ever felt that way before? Listen to what scripture says. God has arranged the members in the body, and that includes you. There's something that you bring that if you weren't here, we wouldn't have. We do not come here to fulfill positions or roles, but we are united together to serve one another with the various gifts that God gives us. So we're not necessarily meant to be the same, but we're meant to exercise what the Lord has given us to, to do in serving one another. So every believer within this church has a role to play within the body. So, so for those who may be retired, and if you're saying, oh, I'm tired, I've done my work in the church already, or I can't do what I was able to do when I was younger, you're still part of the body. And God can use you. So if you're a busy parent or you have a lot of family responsibilities, oh, we're tired, we're busy, oh, we're totally run by our kid's schedule, you're still a part of the body. God can still use you. Or if you're overworked, because everyone seems to be really busy nowadays, and you say, I just don't have the time, there's not enough hours in the day, I would love to be there, but I can't, you're still part of the body. God can still use you. What I'm saying is that you don't have to be super focused on doing more work. I'm not saying be busybodies and just work all the time. What I'm saying is that every Christian should be aware that the Lord has placed us here for the benefit of one body. If God is sovereign over the body of Christ, he's sovereign over this church as well. <clears throat> so a good way to think about us even relating to one another, if, if I were to apply what I was just saying, is one of my favorite verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, 15 to 17. And we urge you, brothers, brethren, gathering of believers, admonish the idle, lovingly warn the idle, you know, try to look out for them, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. I think that's a good way to apply understanding that we're all meant to be together. So, like I was saying before, so as a church, we should strive to be united as the body of Christ because God has put the body parts together. He's put us all here. So now we'll look at our last section. God intends the body parts to work together. Verse 21, look with me there. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So in Paul's example here of the body, what he says about the body of Christ is that every part belongs to the body. This is what we've seen so far. Every part belongs to the body, right? That those who don't think they are important are. But now he's saying, okay, every part needs each other, especially the weaker ones, and they should be honored. So it's kind of the reverse of the first section, that some parts would think that they were not a part of the body because they weren't like the other parts. But now on the other side, it is no one, it is no one on their part can say that we don't need the others. I think what is in mind here is that those visible members, those visible parts of the body, they receive praise, people see them, that's their praise already. And those who may not be seen may not be visible in the body. So we have to pay attention to that. So it, it kind of reminds me of um, how God is, um, that God honors the secret things. And that with this passage that we're reading right now, it, we've kind of tried to have to follow that example. So what Jesus actually says about prayer, I find is very interesting when he's like rebuking, I think rebuking the, the hypocrites basically, is that when you pray, you must not be like hypocrites. This is, this is in Matthew 6, for five, verse 5 to 6. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the, your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So, just from like that passage, how we have a heart to see the things that are not visible, because the things that are visible receive their honor already because they're already seen. And um, we see which even Jesus in his teaching about prayer, he's even saying that, hey, you guys are being hypocrites wanting to receive your honor on the outset, on the face. But understand that if, if you are doing it in secret and wanting to honor the Lord, the Lord recognizes that. The invisible things in the church are indispensable. The body functions with things that are seen and unseen. We should always strive to be aware and honor those that are not easily praised. This part of our united work, sorry, excuse me, this should be part of our united work and should not be viewed as separate. So like an example, I have like a hidden thing, like I have my phone here, like a, a hidden thing would be, you know, during this week I'm preparing, the visible thing is, yeah, I'm speaking the word to you right now, but the invisible thing is that throughout the week people have been, you know, texting me and telling me that they've been praying for me, you know? Or even um, the, the visible thing is now I'm speaking in front of you, but, you know, some brothers prayed with me before service, and that wasn't necessarily seen by everybody, right? These things are indispensable. And as with all work within the body, we should have eyes to see the grace of, of, of God being shown in these unseen body, body parts and give greater honor because they may not, be, they may not get as much as the visible. So the reason why I, we pay attention to this is verse 25. So look with me at verse 25. Why do we actually have to be aware of the unseen parts, right? And the reason is that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So it's for unity and mutual care. God's intention for the body of Christ and this local church is that the honoring and prioritizing of the lesser seen parts removes division. So in caring for all members, 
being united in our common confession as a body, one application follows then in verse 26. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. With us embracing the one confession as we serve one another, we suffer as one and then we're honored as one in that common confession. So as a church, we should strive to be united as the body of Christ. God makes the body parts work together because he wants no division, but unity. How does that unity come? But by the body's one confession of Christ. We have Christ, we have Christ, we have Christ together. God himself putting the body parts together and God also God's intention to have its body parts work together. Um, I'll close now by saying um, there has been a great faithfulness that God has shown us in this church as part of the body of Christ. But sometimes because of life and experiences, divisions can creep in. We're not like the Corinthian church and, and seeing how devastating and wrong they are. But, you know, because sin is so prevalent, we can, we can be like them because sin is in our hearts. So we should think deeply about the nature of us being saved by grace, made to drink of one spirit, being baptized into a single body of Christ. God himself is keeping this church and all the, of the body of Christ. So as we strive to maintain that common confession, relating to one another because of that confession, looking to see Christ in others and to share his working among our fellowship, we can trust that God is working behind the scenes and preserving, sanctifying, and keeping his church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, May your name be glorified, Lord God, in our common confession as one body. That we were all thirsty at one point when you made that call to all who would listen, that those who would believe in him would be able to receive new life. Let that be our joy. Let that be the, the basis of how we relate to one another. So that when we come together, when we meet together, we worship together, it won't ever be a chore, but it may be a means of grace to encourage our hearts to hear and see and walk alongside those who, who name the name of Christ. Let us not hold anything else up other than the confession we hold in you. May you be glorified as we, as we continue to, uh, as we finish our service today. And I pray, Lord God, in each and every heart that is here, Lord, that we may think deeply about the gospel, Lord God, and as we reflect on the gospel and we're drawn closer to you and, and in deeper love towards you, that we may truly see one another and the great work that God has done amongst us and the souls of those who would come from death to life. May you please be our guide and our strength as we strive to apply your word and to live for you day by day together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.